Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, William? It's really good tonight, my friend. It is really good. How are you? Good. You're sounding very melancholy. You've just come in very cruisy, very easy there. Like I need a bit more juice from you. We're talking ACC tonight, which is obviously the Australia and the American entirety of their football experience is the premier conference so let's just get a little bit more up and about please uh and I, I expect a bit more out of you australians are listening in and want a decent coverage of college football they don't want that garbage being decent honest decent honest college football yes that's what we're here for that is what we bring to the table that is what we're about yes correct. okay no i'm excited acc football we're two weeks away I, I, I'll raise it up for you because I, I think there's a chance that the ACC might be better than it has been. Well, that's virtue great of there's other... because we haven't been good. Actually, before we get off on that note, I, and I'll probably get into this a little bit later, but you came at me last week about saying, oh, you, you can't come at me because the Big 12 sucks at playing defense. You know what? You can't come at the ACC tonight about being like the fifth of the f- Power Five conferences or even like not... The three of the, the three pe- this year, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. You, you can't be coming at that. I, I um, won't. I won't. I'm, 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 I came in, I tried to be as unbiased as possible in, in my research, my, my preseason research here. I'm, I'm optimistic about all of the teams until I read into some of the stats then. Oh, I had to back it back a little bit, but no, <laughs> I, you're not going to have that from my end tonight, mate. Okay. A um, couple of things that I was really excited about that I wanted to talk about before we get into, we're going to go into a bit of news and then of course we are talking ACC football, we're going to talk all things coastal, all things Atlantic uh, divisions and talk about how the ACC is going to represent or be represented at the college football playoff because at this stage, at this stage we are down to the SEC, the ACC and the Big 12 which means the college football semi-final, I cannot wait for Clemson, Oklahoma, and two SEC teams to go to the college football final just to mix things up just a fraction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the year of chaos, mate. Throw that out the window. This is the year we get that chaos that I so yearn for. Yeah, okay. So Clemson, Oklahoma, and two SEC teams. Brilliant. All right, before we get into that, let's have a look at some news. There's a few things I do want to touch on. Uh, firstly, I think the big one to me is the the controversy surrounding the Big Ten. So the Big Ten were the first conference to opt out of the college football season in terms of fall sports. They're looking at, uh, they were looking at winter options. They were looking at fall, uh, sorry, at spring options as well. But this wasn't where the circulation of noise and uh, I guess some detractors came from. And this was around the fact that uh, a number of schools came out and said, you know, well, it was put to them, the athletic directors, oh, who voted? Who made this decision? And they were like, we don't know. We, we're not exactly sure there was a vote. We, we don't really know what happened here. Uh, so, yeah. And from that sparked uh, an outcry from parents, from players, and that still continues on to this day. But that hasn't gone down particularly well with the Big Ten. The optics don't look real good there. And uh, since then, I think the communication has improved, but it wasn't a good look for that particular conference. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're dead right with that. It was a bit odd reading that and the lack of control that they seem to have. I know they have a, a new uh, man in charge of the conference there and it's not the sort of start you want to be getting off to. I mean, these are the most difficult times to be stepping into that sort of position, but Jesus Christ, get your shit together. Yeah. Um, so whilst plenty of parents have made their way carrying signs and, you know, there's a mum from Idaho, not Idaho, from Iowa, maybe Idaho, but definitely Iowa. Um, there's parents from Michigan State. There's someone's dad from Ohio State. I can't remember his name, defensive back, uh, you know, making a whole heap of noise about how the Big Ten should reconsider. They're not going to do that. They believe they made the correct in terms of player safety. All right, moving on. Uh, in the actually, well, let's go to this one first. The NCAA has granted an extra extra year of eligibility to all student athletes that are partaking in fall slash spring sports. So this is particularly centered around the football thing. I know that's kind of mostly where a lot of our information comes from, and. You know, whilst other sports are being played, the NCAA doesn't really care too much. It appears this decision was made for the purpose of football players. And this means then there's a couple of things. Firstly, that any player that is in what would be a fifth year of eligibility or a, you know, a fourth and final year of playing eligibility can then return for a fifth or respective red shirt sixth year. Uh, it also means that the scholarships that those players would be taking up do not count against their number of 85, which is that hard number that they that uh, Division One schools play up against, uh, and they will just be kind of invisible scholarships. Now, that's not to say that they're invisible from a cash perspective. If you do carry five, six, seven, twelve players over into a sixth or fifth year, however you look at it, those checks are still going to be written to the tune of $85,000. But um, the players themselves can choose to opt in. And you've got some pretty strong feelings about this. I'm kind of neither here nor there on it. Uh, But talk to me about your belief in the fact that you think that schools will come, or some of those second-tier schools will actually get some advantage, some competitive advantage out of this situation. Absolutely. I think that this one opens a bit of a door for that second rung of schools who are not sending huge amounts of players off to the NFL, whereby they're now going to be able to return, play an extra year with an extra year in the weight room, an extra year of experience, all of that. And those elite teams like your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your LSUs that are sending off truckloads of kids to the the NFL are going to have to compete with the fact that yes they're replacing them with absolute superstar players but they don't have that year of work in a college uh, weight room that these other kids have got they don't have that year of experience so there's already kind of an imbalance there where you can almost even it out sometimes when you've got like a, a redshirt senior who's not as talented, but he, he has the experience. He's a bit stronger because he's been through there versus say like a sophomore stud who is still learning, learning parts of the game. I think this just kind of brings that 
uh, a little bit further away and, and tips the scales a little bit more to those senior hardened bodies who are going to stick around and not move to the NFL. So I just think uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and we might see a little bit more parity and a few more upsets uh, against those elite programs as a result. Yeah, I mean, I guess I 100% agree with you in that I would rather have a fifth-year senior in Tyler Thigpen lining up rather than true freshman Trevor Lawrence to win me the national championship. You're 100% correct, Will. I see exactly what you're saying. That is absolute crap. And I think that the athletic difference between the top and that mid-class tier that you're talking about is so easily overcome that this is such an irrelevant, insignificant point. If these players want to stick around, they're not NFL caliber, okay? We've known from, you know, and we can pick it already now that, uh, you know, there's certain players that are going to go and make their way to the NFL that are true freshmen, um, whether it's running backs, wide receivers, cornerbacks, defensive ends these guys are going to go and play there's high school players that are actually more athletically gifted yeah they, they haven't had the the time in the weight room and, and i can see what you're saying from maybe an offensive line perspective but outside of that there's no one really that i'm sitting there going oh you know what if this guy if this red shirt senior just had one extra year he would really you know turn himself into a into a first round draft pick that's just not happening like this is the tiniest blip in the radar. Yeah, it might, you know, boy and bring together an offensive line for one season at Illinois. Cool. Okay. You know, yeah, now you get to finish seven and five. Awesome. But it's not going to make a big difference at the top end. I just, I don't think it's an issue. And I think it gives players more decisions um, and gives them more power to make that decision that, for what's best for them. Um, and I think like there's a classic one, I suppose, in my own kind of fandom and that centers around De'Eric King. And, you know, he, he probably comes in as, as a, as a um, graduate transfer, a senior quarterback who has got a lot of potential, a lot of ability at Houston, but he doesn't have NFL tape. If his NFL, if his tape is good enough this year, he's going to the NFL. If it's not, it's because he hasn't played very well and he comes back for another year. It's because he hasn't played very well. If he was good enough, we would know about it this year. I just don't think it's an issue. I, I think you're right in what you're saying about the skill positions, maybe, especially the quarterback spot, you, you, the talent's there. But <sighs> Trevor Lawrence is an unfair example because he is a superstar. There, there's If you pick any of last okay, year's Tua freshmen... Okay, Tua lower. Should I, should I pick him? Any of is last year's one? freshman quarterback and stack them up against a whole heap of... Guys who are fifth-year seniors this year who are not going to go pro and who get to play again, I'm taking the senior quarterback. I'm taking that experience. I'm, I'm, I'm that position every time. And O-line, D-line, the big boys up front, massive beneficiaries of all of this. And I agree, like it's, it's not all of a sudden going to propel all of these teams into being as good as Alabama. It's not going to happen. But it's going to mean that they're a harder out. They're, they're no longer going to be able to work over a team like maybe Missouri, who's not sending so many teams, uh, players to the NFL because they've got good talent, but now they're going to get to stick around another year. I just think it makes it a, a tougher gig for those elite programs. 
if they choose to stick around another year, there's still that decision to be made. Like they might choose to go to the NFL anyway. They might choose to take the academic route if, well, they are football players, but they may choose to take the academic route potentially as well. Um, so that's something. All right, let's move on. Uh, UCLA graduate transfer O-lineman Jake Burton enters the transfer portal and then goes and commits to Baylor within the space of about 48 hours. So he's the first of one of the conference teams that has had a transfer on the back of them not playing a game, I suppose. So Jake Burton, part of the Pac-12 with UCLA. Of course, the Pac-12 are not playing. So he goes and commits to a team within a conference that uh, is going to play and he is eligible straight away. So that benefits him. I don't know if this is going to set some wheels in motion for the grad transfer types in that space, but I would have suspected that that potentially would have happened already. Having said that, I assume Jake Burton has made the calls before officially putting his name in the transfer portal. I think he would want to know that there's some guarantee there'd be a team that would pick him up. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with the low volume that we've seen, it just feels like natural, like this would have happened regardless. Like we would see Mm. someone transfer at this point of the year just purely based on the numbers that we are seeing. I don't really think that this is one of those because they've cancelled, he's now moving and this is the beginning of a domino effect that's going to see Ohio State's offensive line now all transferring to Missouri. Like, it's... I don't know. We haven't seen A lot of it. Missouri references. A lot of yeah, Missouri really. references. Going to get my head in the ACC. You're right. Okay, um, good. <laughs> before I do that, point. I've got some news yep. that's close to my heart. Very disappointing to read that tailgating in Mississippi uh, down at the Grove officially been uh, banned this year. So yep. they're not doing that. That's absolutely devastating. Uh, I mean, it won't cost us any more beers than what it cost us last time. So that's That's good. true. That's true. So. But uh, no, I mean, it's, it's part of the, the soul of college football is all of that tailgating. And that's just a, it was a reminder to me that whilst we're looking like we're going to get games and that's great, there's still going to be some weird shit with no one in the, fa- in the stands and some of the usual traditions that we're used to seeing just not taking place. Having said that, Florida State has said that they're going to go ahead with their tailgating. So, uh, Rock yeah, on. I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And we've been to a Florida State tailgate. I mean, they seem like, I mean, like all tailgating, tailgating doesn't actually change that much around the country. There, there would be arguments that it would, but fundamentally, it is a whole bunch of people in a designated area getting fucking wasted and telling you how good uh, their football team is, their conference is, how good their hospitality is. They're telling you how good something about their life is. Now, if there's one thing that I know that completely upends social distancing, it is alcohol. And if there is one thing that I definitely know that is at tailgates, it is alcohol, which means there is going to be the opposite of social distancing occurring. I don't know what that is, whether we call that social togetherness, social fingering, social fisting. I don't know what it looks like, but, uh, you know, that is going to be occurring at these tailgates and and that may come with or without lubricant. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's where we're at and I don't know how they keep a lid on that. No. All right. Are we ready to talk some ACC football? No, we're not. Kennedy Brooks opts out of Oklahoma as well. I know you... (laughs) 
<laughs> Watching your face, you're devastated at that. Um, he has bailed out, which puts them in a really difficult position. I think, lastly, the Tampa Bay Rays are sitting on top of the American League East in the baseball. They swept the Red Sox, um, made a meal of the Yankees. Tied a series against the Blue Jays, but then have just beaten the Orioles today. So uh, Tampa Bay is starting to look really, really good. Tyler Glass now gets his first win of the year. Yeah, and for uh, Baseball Down Under, follow, tune in to Aaron's non-existent Twitter account or the non-existent podcast that he's trying to get a crossover towards by the sounds of things with these consistent... Not at all, dude. I just like sport. I just like sport. That's that's just. I just want something to cheer about. Okay, I can't. Hate you it fucking that. had enough here of any news. So sorry if I'm just trying to bring a little bit of a different angle, um, trying to bring some fun and 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 some different elements to our podcast for once, rather than talking about the droll that is college football. That, that, yeah, exactly. Especially, dude. Like, we're, I know we're two weeks away. Actually, just on that as another point of emphasis, it feels like to me like we're actually going to get some games this year. Probably for the first time in months, I actually feel confident that there's going to be some games being played. And I I didn't see that happening three weeks ago. So I'm actually starting to get a little bit toey about the college football season. I I was going to actually send you a graph today of the American Daily Cases. And it's kind of, it's definitely done its little peak. It's second one, I think. And it's, it's back on the way down. So things looking good. I'm excited too. All right, let's dive in. So you've taken care of the Atlantic. I've taken care of the coastal. Can I just? Uh, would you like me to start first? I just want to jump in. This year no, in the ACC, they're go. not officially having the conferences. So yeah, that, I mean that is true. Yes, yeah. So talk us through that. So because of the nature of the non-conference or the non-existent non-conference games, or that the single one that they're playing there was a decision within the ACC to go away from the standard conference setup. And rather than that, they've introduced Notre Dame into the mix and they're playing almost a round robin sort of deal. There's not, there's too many teams for them to play everyone once. So it's just kind of a a schedule and they've, I don't know how they've gone about picking who plays who, but they've kept some of the rivalries in place and then made it all work around that, I guess. But it's uh, it's not quite the standard uh, format that we would expect from the ACC. Have you got the schedule in front of you? I do. What are your immediate takeaways? So you're saying, I can't remember what you just said, you're not sure what they're trying to achieve or what they're trying to do. I believe that I know exactly what they're trying to achieve here. What... What's your immediate takeaways from looking at the schedule? What do you think? Is it fair? Is it not fair? How do you think it's balanced? I I guess, yeah, so mine was I wasn't sure about the logic as to how it was decided, whether it was coin tosses or randomly plucked or if it was designed to have Notre Dame end up playing Clemson in the championship game. That is right. Okay, yeah, you've nailed it in one. That is 100% accurate. Uh, that that to me that is exactly what it looks like and if you have a look at uh, um, I know this sounds very skeptical I've got my you know tinfoil hat on here potentially but you've got Clemson's away games which uh, Wake Forest Georgia Tech yeah they get Notre Dame whatever uh, Florida State who are a mess at the moment Virginia Tech who are not anything special under Justin Fuente although you're probably going to try and pump them up You've then got on the Notre Dame side, 
They avoid a lot of the big ones outside of Clemson. Everyone's going to get one big one, but they have got to travel to Wake Forest, Pitt, who will be down, Georgia Tech, Boston College will be down, and North Carolina. Um, it To me, it looks like it's squared up. And, and and to me, this is a money thing, again, as it always is, that they're trying to sort out a Clemson, Notre Dame, Final, obviously, they've got not that much control over that, and there's a lot of kind of other stuff going on here. But you look at you look at where these other teams fall, and who could be pushing for a chance. You're looking at Virginia Tech; they play eight games in a row in the middle part of the season before get before finishing with Clemson. Um, other ga- games like North Carolina, they play seven games in a row before a bye and then getting Notre Dame and Miami to finish the season. So it looks like some of this is teed up to get a Clemson-Notre Dame ACC championship game. I mean, spoiler alert, I was hoping to kind of go over some of this oh, sorry, touched on some you. of the teams, but maybe we don't need to do that anymore. We can just listen to you go through the schedule and then we'll call it quits. Um, I, I have heard this about the SEC. I know there are a number of the people tied in with programs in the SEC that are saying, this is shit. How is this schedule? Like, looking at it, it this is designed for the heavyweights to, to be able to benefit from this. Hadn't heard it so much from the ACC. You make very good points. So I guess we're really breaking news here. Heard it here first. ACC's corrupt and aiming to get Clemson <laughs> and Notre Dame together. It's the only reason Obviously. it happened too. Obviously. <laughs> All right, let's jump in. So whilst there is no coastal, whilst there is no Atlantic divisions here, we have still split them that way. So I've looked after the teams that would historically be in the coastal division, Duke, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Pitt, Virginia, sorry, Virginia, North Carolina, Miami. You've got Florida State, Syracuse, Wake, NC State, Clemson, Louisville, Boston College, and then I've given you Notre Dame, I think, or are we both taking Notre Dame? Uh, I've got Notre Dame. Okay, good. You've got one extra than me. So since that is the case, why don't you kick us off? Talk us through your first team. For sure, mate. Oh. So I'm hoping... And we that... are doing a headline. Are we doing headlines this week? Is that what well, we're doing? that's what I was going to say. I'm hoping we can follow on from last week's uh, style and that you've kind of caught on to this this time. I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't, but... What that is, is kind of coming in with a headline and then following that through with to try and kind of back up what you're staying there. So for me, I'm going to kick things off with Boston College. And my headline is BC, any danger of playing some D? So no. I, I say this, uh, Boston College have uh, introduced Jeff Hafley in as the new head coach this year. Uh, He's come across from Ohio State and was the defensive coordinator there the last couple of years. And surely he has to make them better on defense because it's not going to be hard. Last year, they were pretty terrible on that side of the ball. They gave up massive amounts of yards on the ground, through the air, Bit of a punching bag there, and it kind of sealed the fate for Steve Adazio, who I really liked as a head coach. I thought it was a probably a rough one for him to see him go out there. I think he's, they've consistently been a school that's gone bowling. They've been a, a school that knocks off decent teams or is around the mark and a team that probably loses games that they shouldn't, but that's kind of where they sit in and amongst that. And I guess they got sick and tired of that. They want to elevate themselves above that i can understand why you're going to do that but there's always running that risk of doing that and then falling to the bottom of the pack and 
I think Halfley's a comes in with all great credentials, is going to give them every opportunity, but you're running that risk. Um, if we do look at Boston, I think they have a couple of really exciting O-line uh, prospects in Sweet. Ben Petrula and Alec Lidstrom. Sweet. Uh, which is always what you want. That's <laughs> where you want to kick off your season is offensive line. Well, I think this year that having continuity up front will certainly help things out, as it would across the board. They did lose AJ Dillon, who both you and I were a massive fan of last year, but they do have David Bailey filling in the shoes. And from everything that I've read and seen, he seems to be a very similar sort of athlete. Like I'm talking six foot, 240 pounds, and just runs dudes over. So that's going to be interesting one to say. Did you see that photo of AJ Dillon in the Packers uniform? Fuck me. Dude is insane, <laughs> isn't he? He's unreal. If he got out of 12Ks an hour, I wouldn't want to tackle him. And I know that he gets well above that, and I've got no interest in sticking my body in front of that thing. Absolutely. It's such a waste going to Green Bay, sitting behind Aaron Jones. But, hey, that's for another day. Um, on Boston College, uh, one really interesting thing for them is that they've brought across a former Notre Dame gun recruit, Phil Jerkovic. Jerkovic, yeah. Who was a five-star kid, uh, super highly recruited there, kind of fell behind Ian Book in the standings at uh, Notre Dame and now comes across, has his opportunity at Boston to make his mark. So... I'm really excited to see what he can do to see if they can start to play some defense. Uh, I think it's it's going to be a tough gig first year out for uh, Jeff Halfley as, as that key man. But I've got a bit of a soft spot for Boston. They were kind of my team last year that I was a bit around. I'm, I'm certainly not there this year, but I, I think it's, it's really hard to let go of those ones that you do. Uh, I know you yeah, feel the same way about some of them. So yep. they're not my team this year, but um, I'll, I'll be I'll be hoping they go all right. I think the way that the ACC plays out, and I'm sure I'll mention this a few times, like there's the really good teams, well, there's a really good team, uh, another couple of good teams in the conference, and then the the middle is not bad. Like it, and and that's where 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 I'm saying like it's easy to rag on the ACC for being garbage. Yeah, like none of them really compete with Clemson, but few teams in the country do. And yeah. I think that that middle rung there is actually probably collectively all taking a step up. It, there's a couple of teams who might drop away this year, but I think Boston are a, a solid team, a solid outfit, and they, and they fit well and truly in that middle sense of the ACC. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you, but it's easy to find critical flaws amongst all these ACC teams, I think, and, and that's the big issue. It's hard to make a reason why... You can you can probably make an excuse why you think Boston College is going to be okay. It's hard to make a reason why you think Boston College is going to be competitive week in, week out. I mean, that offensive line is going to be good, but like I've said, you've got a new, offen uh, sorry, a new head man with zero preparation effectively yeah they'll get some but it's not like a normal season and you're relying on uh, a couple of new key pieces and a new head coach in a strange season and i think that automatically puts teams already behind the eight ball to a point where i've pretty much almost discounted any team that has got a new head coach just because of how difficult 
that transition and that process is going to be. Okay. All right. I'm going to do mine in a little bit of... Say that again. I said any more on Boston College. Otherwise, I think we might need to fly through these because we've got a hell of a lot of teams in the ACC. I know we do. Yeah, no. Like, they have a good offensive line. Sweet. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's go to... I'm going to go in reverse hype order of the year for kind of like coastal teams. So I'm going with the Duke Blue Devils. And my headline is, is Chase Bryce the highlight? David Cutcliffe is known as a quarterback guru and he's done great things with that Duke program. I don't think anyone can argue with that. The offense, however, is pretty predictable, um, usually run by guys who know the system and that is not a Clemson transfer who is, let's be honest, not really that great. So while the schedule appears manageable, the Blue Devils to me are just not that good if I had to highlight some players that are worth taking note of. Uh, Noah Gregg, a big, I say a big tight end, he's a sizable tight end, he's nothing too crazy. He got all ACC accolades last year but and kind of a steady producer but nothing too athletically dominating. I have to give Chase Bryce a mention and get some name recognition pretty much because of his plucky win against Syracuse the year that Trevor Lawrence was his true freshman year and they went to the national and went to the national championship and won the national championship against Alabama. He got knocked out of that game and Chase Bryce came and converted like a fourth and 13 or something. Um, kept them in the game. They beat Syracuse and, and that, you know, kept them alive. Um, but he is like seriously mediocre. Dion Jackson is a running back with some skills, but don't expect any Daniel Jones type kind of first rounders from this year's blunt bunch of Blue Devils. I'm not too excited about Duke. My hype levels are um, spectacularly low. No, that's probably a fair assessment there, mate. I think they really seemed to struggle a bit down the stretch last year on offense, yep. uh, especially. Yeah. I think they'll benefit from having most of that group back in in this year that we're having. A new quarterback into the mix, as you mentioned, throws a bit of a spanner in the works. He's going to have to pick that up. And behind Chase Bryce, I don't see a lot. So he's going to be the man. He he will be given every opportunity. He's chose Duke to go to as a school because he would have been given fairly good indication that he's going to be the starting guy. It's whether he can get going early and starting off with a road trip to Notre Dame, that's not the spot you want to be at to get your feet underneath <laughs> you. So nope. that's that's going to make things tough out the gate. And I think that could have them reeling for most of the year. Four wins, I think, would be where I have them at. Uh, I'd be surprised to see them get over and above that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't do the predictions that you do, but you like gambling more than me so all right let's push on where are you going to next all right i'm going to the top of the acc so uh mine here is uh clemson all right they're oh, good i'm shocked you really pause there as if you were going to go in a different direction <laughs> they good but yeah. they got questions mm-hmm. so I, I, this is not like a for me a hands down number one in the nation team And I think in most pre-season rankings that you'll see come out over the the now already coming weeks before we hit game one, uh, they are number one. And I mean, I can see why. Don't get me wrong. Well done. Well done, Will. They have a hell of a lot of positives. 
So this is a team that has lost two regular season games in the last five years. <laughs> That's fucked. You've really they, gone out on a limb with saying that they're going to be good and that they're the top of the ACC. Good stuff. They own the ACC. Ain't just top of it. They own it. Uh, they, they averaged 43 points a game last year uh, and they scored more than 45 on seven of the eight down the stretch. So that's insane. And like to really highlight how good they were, they outscored opponents 398 to 93 in the first half of games across last year. So they're just blowing teams out and then running the backups in. Like... That's that's insane to show how much better they were than almost everyone that they played. They've got Trevor Lawrence coming back. He's the best player in college football. Like he's a transcendent talent. He's going to be the number one draft pick. He's worth the price of admission to watch him hum the ball around. And they partner him with Travis Etienne, who's a legit superstar at running back himself. Pretty handy duo coming in there. Uh, and on top of all of that, they've been recruiting at an absolute elite level for quite a sustained period now. Like, it, it's not just been kind of ups and downs or, you know, you, you see one team will peak over a couple of year periods. They've been doing it for a long enough time that they are officially in that reload tier that you see. A number of the SEC programs are at the, you know, Ohio State is at where it's, we have superstars, they go to the NFL, we replace them with legit superstars who are going to the NFL. That's where they're at. So I've said all of that on the back of my... They're good, but they've got questions. When I do say they have questions, where I, I, I can pick them apart a little bit is they lost their offensive coordinator. So Jeff Scott has gone to take their head gig at USF. Uh, losing that continuity is part of what you have to deal with uh, being at these elite programs. Alabama know all about that. The coaches yeah. roll in there. They have an incredible year and then they go and take a head gig somewhere else because they've spent that time there and that's what we're going to start to see at Clemson it's shocking to me that Brent Venables hasn't done that yet and I think that's one of the great mysteries in all of college football but I mean if I'm him I'm taking that gig too he's making good money and like it, it, it's a good gig on from what I was saying earlier, uh, they've also lost T. Higgins, who's pretty handy, and Justin Ross, who's officially done for the year uh, with that Maybe unfortunate his career. Perhaps. Uh, I haven't heard yeah. an update on that, but he uh, had that back issue. Um, and with those two guys out, they're certainly inexperienced at the receiver position. So whilst I said they reload, there's a bit of a question mark there because those two were an, a real dynamic duo. Um, they've got four new starters on the offensive line. So inexperience there could potentially cause some trouble. We have been saying now for quite some time that the offensive line at the college level hasn't been keeping pace with the defensive line. Like they, they're, The players that are coming up and out just don't seem to be what they were in previous years. And it doesn't take much for a team to quite quickly struggle because the offensive line is not up to scratch. So that's something to watch out for. They've only got five returning stars starters on defense. Uh, and like almost all of the guys who left are now playing in the NFL. So... Those are a really, really decent teams that are going out the door. And the last thing that they should be slightly worried about is that they have a decent team to play in the ACC this year. And they have to go on the road to play 
at South Bend against Notre Dame. So that is not going to be quite the cupcake schedule that they've previously had. They've now got to come up against that. I thought you said you were not going to do this. Well, it's... I'm not. I'm trying to lift them up, but Clemson are yep. kind of in their own their own group here. And you're right. Yep. Keep me in check. That's good. Yeah. Um, but there is the possibility that they could face off. Uh, they play Notre Dame in South Bend, and then they may have to also go up against them in the conference championship game. And looking at what they've had previously, that certainly appears to be a much tougher matchup than what they've had. So I guess all in all, fucking good team. But there is enough there to throw up a few question marks. Fuck, you sound boring tonight talking about how good Clemson is. The thing that I'm interested in is having a look at their defense. Brent Venables, and, and this is the thing that kind of gets me, is you talk about him being a defensive coordinator and, and a really good one, and he is that. I don't think there's any doubt. But two years ago in 2018, he had Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins playing along that defensive line. Just went four down line and didn't blitz. He's just like, fuck this. I'm going to turn these boys loose. They can just do whatever they want. They're smart. They're strong. They're athletic. Go your hardest. And that's exactly what they did. And they just wrecked house. Last year, I mean, we saw it really clearly in the first half, particularly the national championship game. They went three down linemen. They played some 3-3 stack. They played some 3-5-3, some 3-3-5, mixing up their looks. And you know that each year he just kind of breaks it all down and builds it to whatever he wants again that following year and has got the flexibility and versatility to do that. And that's what he's going to do. And and it's going to be really interesting to see what he churns out this year. So um, I'm not too concerned about their receiver group. I know they've got Frank Ladson, who's a former five-star out of uh, Florida, who should be a good one. It is some reason for concern, but when you've got the number one quarterback prospect in the land, I don't think it's too much of an issue. I think they'll be one of the top two teams in the conference and one of the top three or four teams in the country. All right, let us move on. I'm going to hype team shithouse number two, and this is Georgia Tech. I think I was a bit drunk when I wrote this headline, so bear with me, but I've kind of got the vision of someone going to like the deli counter and like, or like, you know, buying some sort of, uh, you know, like pastrami or a little bit of shaved ham or some, you know, bacon for their pizza or whatever. So the headline is, can we have 200 pounds of something that resembles the fucking quarterback, please? Jeff Collins, the head coach there, is taking his second go-round in Atlanta and trying to kind of continue to undo the flex bone that Paul Johnson had going there for a long, long time and get his spread offense going. But he still doesn't have any of his own players there. There's still the overhaul that's taking that's taking part. And he kind of seems a little bit... If I've got to use another analogy outside of ordering like deli meats, it's that kind of like the Christian Bale Batman. You know when he's like got his back all fucked up and he's got to hang from that sling in the prison and he's not like back to full strength before he can go and climb the wall and get himself out of that pit of misery. That's kind of where Jeff Collins is at right now. Like he's committed to getting out of this pit, but there's a long, long way to go before he can get that quarterback, he can get that, that offensive system in place and he just doesn't have 
anyone really that can complete a forward pass on a consistent basis and that's going to make things really really tough for him although he's recruited in that space i'm not expecting too much from the offense on top of that the defense was just as nasty they finished last in the acc in tackles for a loss and sacks as well so where does that leave Georgia Tech for this year? They should be improved. I mean, they beat fucking Miami last year somehow, but um, I don't know, even know how that happened. There's a couple of players. I say a couple of players. By a couple of players, I mean one player. Jordan Mason is the running back. He played the A back, I think, maybe the B back in the triple option. He's converted out into this spread offense and had a good year last year. He was nearly up to 900 yards rushing and, and had a whole bunch of touchdowns. Um, but he sort of becomes the sole piece of that offense and hopefully they can continue to develop uh, a new system and a new style with new players because at this stage it's it's still a long, long way out of the doldrums here for Georgia Tech and I'll get you to jump in here before I give the even worse news around their draw. Yeah, no, I agree with you and that was actually my piece that I was going to jump in with but I'll I'll leave it for you. Um, Georgia Tech are going to be the worst team again. I mean, we we knew this as they were coming out, as you mentioned, moving away from the triple option flex bone that they were previously running. They they didn't have the dudes to run the offense that they needed to. They didn't score more than 28 points in a game last year. And you just ain't going to win too many football games at any level when you're doing that. So they're in for the long haul. And in terms of the schedule... Everyone in the ACC got themselves a cupcake out of conference. Yeah. What have Georgia Tech gone and done? <laughs> Scheduled like the number 20 ranked team in the country. Fuck, they're playing the top ranked non-Power 5 team in the land. Who's better than them? What are they doing that for? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I'll jump in here, but they... To start the season, they get FSU on the road. And whilst I'm super down on Florida State, they're going to lose that one. Just sheer talent alone. They then return home to the Georgia Dome and play UCF. Sorry, not Georgia Dome. Bobby Dodd Stadium. Apparently, I'm thinking the Atlanta Falcons. Um, They play UCF who will beat them. They then get Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Now, whilst that might not be that crazy this year because of the home fandom that will be that will cease to exist still an awkward place to play they then get a buy then they go that sorry then they get louisville and clemson and i think louisville is going to be a good team this year clemson we've already spoken about they could be zero and five before mid-october and their season's in the tank yep okay now i'm going to take this opportunity to move into louisville uh, that you mentioned uh, and my, my headline for the team is that this team might just be the most fun team in all of football. So Louisville Cardinals were impressive last year uh, under Scott Satterfield. He came in and injected some life into this program. And whilst they uh, perhaps didn't have the win totals, They were around the mark and were certainly in a bunch of games that you would hope that they'll be able to improve on this year. So this team uh, has issues on the O-line. 
and this is something that we've kind of touched on previously around how how difficult that can be at the college level and and how we want to do that but that has to be better this year they've got guys coming back they do lose Mackay Becton who was what like 600 pounds and seven foot tall like just can run faster than you and me put together yeah like legit his 40 time was quicker than whatever I clocked like that shit is straight (laughs) depressing but uh, he's gone but they've got some others to to fill in the hole there um and I think that's going to be important because they they do rely on that running game a little bit and I think it was really good last year and they have an opportunity to have that even better this year uh they've got uh Javian Hawkins you like my pronunciation? You're not going to call me out on that one? No? Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're killing it, mate. Well done. And Hassan Hall, uh, who are back. And they've also got Michael uh, Mikhail Cunningham. Mikhail. And I was about to jump in there and say, well, like if there's if there's a way to get past a shoddy O-line, it's about having a quarterback that can move and, and shift the pocket and make guys miss. And Mikhail Cunningham is certainly someone that can do that. Um, so he is a really, really good quarterback. And the other guy who I'm sure you're about to mention, but Tutu Atwell is an absolute speed freak on the outside, and he'll give them another option in that end-around game, the screen game, and that deep ball game as well. Yep, no, you're spot on. He he is has an NFL future ahead of him, Tutu Atwell, and I think... Um, Cunningham will probably get the starting nod over Javon Pass, was it? Javon Pass? As, Puma as Pass. Who uh, they were kind of subbing in and out last year. So I think Louisville, in order to win uh, more games than they did last year, they just need to be a little bit better on defense. So when I talk about them being the most fun team in football, I think we're going to see that dynamic offense. I think they're going to be high scoring and fun to watch but I think it might be the big 12 homer in me that that likes Louisville they they need to kind of match that with just like some half decent defense and that's the key in the big 12 like it doesn't have to be great you don't have to be an elite defensive unit just don't get scored on every time you go out on the field and then you're, you're going to be good yeah, I think so. like this team is one that actually kind of makes me nervous. And if if it wasn't, the, in fact, it, it may even I may even be able to push past this from an ACC perspective. But I know I had Purdue a couple of years ago. To me, Louisville is the team. They're the team that are gonna mix things up. They're gonna be entertaining. If you want to get on someone as a as a secondary team to support, I'm getting around Louisville. So um, I I struggle to 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 bandwagon onto teams in the ACC. But when those things come to you, when those teams start talking to you and you just feel yourself like organically drawn towards them, then you, you know, you've just got to embrace that and you, you can't help but not. So, and that's the way kind of I'm feeling about Louisville at the moment. So yeah, they might yeah, yeah. be my team for 2020. Interesting. What I do hold a little bit of concern about is the early schedule that they've got. So Western Kentucky at home should be okay. That's tough. Then they've got Miami coming to town, which will be up against it. And then they go on the road to Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Notre Dame, all on the road. So not not a great start out, and they could find themselves on the wrong end of that, which 
would then kind of make things tough for the back half of the year. I just think they're better than Georgia Tech and Pitt this year, but we'll get into those a little bit later. Okay, third team on my hype, reverse hype order. I've been through Duke, been through Georgia Tech. We're now on to Virginia. So headline reads, regression and recession, a team for the 2020 economy. So if you are a Virginia fan, don't get too excited. Bryce Perkins, who helped you guys put up your best offensive season ever. He's gone. Hasis Dubois, one of your best receivers all time. He's gone. Joe Reed is gone. This offense needs to rebuild. The defense have some pieces, but we rely on the second and third level of that particular defense, and they, they need to have an impact. The defensive line is a little bit shot this year, and I think they can be run on. They're going to rely on Zane Zandier and Charles Snowden, who's a really good linebacker. Um, they're going to be good ones, but they're going to need to make a lot of plays at and around the line of scrimmage to help and support that defensive line. Um, I don't ex- Having said all that, I don't expect that much from these guys. They get away games at Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia Tech. That is stiff just as an away schedule. I know the road games aren't going to be as impactful as what they were last year, but even still, with the amount of losses they've had, uh, particularly along you know that that offensive side of the ball, it's going to make things really, really tough in a a, a conference that appears to be set to score some more points this year. I'll get to Miami later, but Florida State's got Mike Norvell, and they should be better than they were under Willie Taggart. Virginia Tech should be better with their kind of settled quarterback position. Um, and you know, and Miami as well under Rhett Lashley, but it, it's going to be really, really tough, I think, for Virginia to be able to score enough points and and hang in there on the offensive side of the ball, despite the fact that they do have some some good pieces in the secondary and at, at that linebacker position. Some other players you may want to keep an eye on: Terrell Yana, who's the wide receiver. Um, he's going to be pretty much the entire passing game. He'll get a little bit of help from Wayne Tolapapa. I could never say his name right, Tolapapa. Um, but expect those two guys to pretty much be the sole focal points for a pretty mediocre season, which means whilst your you know initial summation of the ACC was that middle class was going to be strong, it appears like the the tail end of it to me, particularly from this traditional coastal perspective, is rather weak. Uh, I don't think these teams are going to be around the mark and they're all going to take notable steps backwards. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to call Virginia the tail end seeing as they made the ACC championship game last year. Yeah, um, um, yeah, absolutely they did. But you're talking about their best offense in school history being completely disintegrated by graduation and attempts at NFL success. And that's the way college football goes. And particularly yeah. at a school like Virginia, where they don't get... Um, you know, you talked about it last week, talking about Oklahoma State and the fact that it kind of comes around in, in cycles. And if you can get some consistency and all the things fall into place, maybe every five years you get a team that can have a crack. That was their year last year. And now they are going to head backwards, kind of like stocks in gas and oil will. Yes, I'm certainly not putting myself in the Team 2020 Virginia corner. Like, 
that's not a spot that you want to be. They're, they're going to go backwards. Last year was that year. They do lose a lot of that offensive production. They do have to play Clemson during the season this time around. Uh, and as I was kind of alluding to, I think the rest of the ACC is a little bit better uh, for, for the teams that they'll be competing with. So I agree with you there. They'll still be okay, but they're definitely taking a step back from where they were last year. Cool. Take us across to another exciting Atlantic team. Yes. So let's look at the Seminoles. Uh, big, Ooh. big uh, fan that you are over in your Obviously. Miami world. Uh, my headline here is Hey, Mike, with a team like this, who needs enemies? <laughs> <laughs> so, fuck me. It has been a rocky start for oh, Michael Hell. Since coming across from Memphis, who's a guy that you really liked as a coaching candidate, I was kind I do. of. I do. I still do. Yeah. Oh, but he's had on multiple occasions now players coming out of the media saying, "Nah, that's what. Nah, didn't say that. Didn't happen. Not what I heard." So first, <laughs> it was big uh, Marvin Wilson coming out yeah. and calling him out about how he said he'd contacted all of the players to talk about the social injustice and things like that kind of said no he didn't might have shot a few people a text message he ain't said shit really so he kind of had to get get that one out and sort that out and and then get that sorted and then lately he had a receiver come out uh complaining that they've been hiding on testing results around the corona yep that happened fucking hell loose lips sink ships (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's not a good start for a program like this. I mean, Florida State is a big time gig, and like the perception of it is that it's a big time program. And when you have that, you get expectation, and and that's something that a guy who's only ever coached at the Group of Five level is stepping into. It can be overwhelming uh, to have that amount of attention and expectation from the national media on you it's something you really need to deal with and this is certainly not the sort of stuff that you want to deal with um looking at where they're at i mean they've got talent they've always had talent they don't have the talent that they used to have uh because they haven't been recruiting as well and and i think a lot of the time people kind of look at uh florida state and go yeah they've got all these superstars they have the recruiting has certainly dropped off and I know you want to jump in on this because you, you love Florida recruiting and you're all over that shit. I would argue that they have some legit playmakers and, and they do pluck from real fertile grounds and it still is a desirable place to go. But across the board, they're certainly not nearly as deep as some of the bigger programs. Absolutely. And I think that uh, the recruiting has really... It, it feels like Miami five or six years ago um, and, and those... These two teams are invariably re- linked, related, talked about together. They are Bonnie and Clyde. They're, you know, Winston and Mariota. They're always talked about together. And and as much as I don't like FSU, I don't like seeing them in this state because when Florida State's successful and Miami's successful, ACC football's successful, Florida football's successful, um, and that's really what we want to see to a point like I still want to beat them obviously but their recruiting has been down noticeably under Willie Taggart 
Um, they're at a point that the Canes felt like they were under our golden and and they're getting only, you know, two, three, four of the, the four-star to five-star guys, which we know at the top end for a, a relatively prestigious borderline blue blood school, that doesn't cut it. And you're starting to see um, those chickens come home to roost now and they're really, really struggling in terms of their talent match up across the field and and a big part of that is quarterback recruiting and something that every team really wants to get right from high school through to the nfl is can they get their quarterback in position and that is something that we've seen a big issue from really all the florida schools except for ucf just about over the last four or five years they cannot get that quarterback position correct and the teams that have are unfortunately also the most talented teams across the board in the nation i'm talking clemson alabama with tour i'm talking ohio states with justin fields they're the ones that are also landing the prime quarterback um, prospects and i've got no doubt that in lots of ways florida state and mike norvell are a quarterback recruit away from becoming a powerhouse again yeah i mean I don't know. I think it takes a bit more than that. And even if they had the number one, like you put Trevor Lawrence behind last year's O-line, he ain't doing shit. Like that was fucking atrocious what they served up on the O-line last year. And I, I get what you're saying in that if you get the transcendent talent, it invariably brings in a bunch of other kids with it too. Like it's it's a domino effect. These kids all go to these elite 11 camps together. They know each other. They want to be part of something successful. So if you know there's the next superstar and you can catch balls from him, you're more likely to link yourself over there and it's automatically bumping things up. Um, but I just wanted to highlight the, the fact that they had real issues up front last year and, and the O-line needs to be somewhere that they will, I'm certain, put attention to and it will be better but it needs to be a real emphasis for them. Uh, in, for, in order for James Blackman, who's back, to be able to succeed. Mm. Now, mm. I, know that, I know there is a bit of hesitation with him, but I think he can be a really handy asset for them this year. He's a kid who's had over 20 starts at the college level. He has some traits. He, he certainly has been this is, See, this is what I want to hear from a quarterback is he's handy and he has some traits. Yeah, but exactly I think... You're not selling me on the James Blackman experience here. Well, because, I, because I'm not 100% in. Like, I, I would be lying to you if I said I was, but I think there's enough there for him with some experience, with some better play up front to potentially start to turn things around. I don't see this as a real difference maker team. They're certainly not automatically going to jump in with Mike Norvell first year now they're in contention for the ACC that's just not where they're at anymore that ship has sailed but I think he's a player who can have them in the potentially in the top rung of that middle layer of schools like they should still be going into those matchups with your Virginias with your uh, North Carolinas Louisville's NC States expecting to win that and they haven't been winning those games lately, but they should still potentially be in a position to do that. I think on defense as well, uh, and you know, it's something that really helps them on that previous statement, is that they have some studs. 
So they've got some good players, but they have Marvin Wilson, who, as I mentioned previously, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Like he is yeah. a physical force in the middle of the defensive line there. And I got Asante Samuel Jr., uh, who's all-conference cornerback, who, again, will be drafted, really, really handy player. That you can kind of build around, and, and they can make something work there. So I know Mike Novell's more known for his offense, but there's enough pieces there that they should be expecting to win more games than not. Okay, cool. Um, won't linger too much longer, um, just because we're going to run out of time, but let's jump across to... Uh, going in reverse hype order, the Pitt Panthers. And the headline for them is national attention, question mark? I think not. Welcome to Pitt, where we are another meh ACC team. Okay, uh, the offense last year was unexpectedly bad. They struggled to run the ball, which is very un-Pitt-like, who seem to just churn out like running backs. Not awesome ones, but certainly like... They're racking up 2,500 yards collectively as a team comfortably every year. Um, they didn't do that last year. And, and Kenny Pickett, who is the quarterback there, and he's been there, I think, since Jesus fed thousands of people somehow. Um, but both Kenny Pickett is somehow still there and Jesus somehow fed people. Uh, but he was kind of just okay in that space. He didn't throw enough. I think he threw like 13 touchdowns but had eight or nine interceptions that's not a great ratio for a team that's not running the ball particularly well either um and i am not convinced by pitt in any way shape or form uh they have got a long way to go offensively um their defense on the other hand should be really really good that defensive front i know they lose jason twyman um who gives up his double-digit sacks and kind of is opting out and looking to his NFL future. Um, but he, obviously a big out. They've still got some really big players on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to be tough to score on this year. Uh, it, if they can hold teams under kind of 24, 28 points, they give themselves a chance, providing that offense can show some signs of life. Other players to keep an eye on there is Rashad Weaver, who will take his place on the edge of the defensive line and and he's an old ACC player and he'll be that again Paris Ford was a really really good um, safety for them last year and, and he'll continue his work from that position but overall the to me again you know of the four teams I've spoken about there's nothing there's still too much of a critical flaw on one side of the ball to get overly excited about for the Pitt Panthers um, I haven't even had a look at their schedule, so if you want to jump in on Pitt here, I'll quickly check over what they've got lining up for them. Yeah, I mean, they start their first four at home, so that'll certainly help them ease into it, but they're still not great matchups for them. Uh, just as you say, the, that offensive side of the ball is a real concern, and whilst I agree, I, I really like their D uh, from last year, and I expect that to continue, and they'll be one of the better defences in the ACC, I just can't have any confidence in a team that's not going to be able to consistently score, and we're going to see that from these. So they, they, I, Pitt will knock off a team that they probably shouldn't. It might be Notre Dame at home like that Good. that wouldn't fucking shock but me. actually they've given notre dame fits recently as well i think 
So um, yeah, and, and I like, should check that. No, they gave Penn State a run last year, didn't they? Yep, and yep. they've given Miami issues when they were the number four ranked team. They gave Clemson some trouble when they were ranked really highly. So you're right; they'll get someone somewhere. Correct, and and but that seems to be the role that they're falling into now. Like they're that upset team, and and maybe that's their destiny. You know, that that's what they're due for. But I think they would like to see a bit more progression than that, and they would like to be up and competing for the conference title in order to do that they're going to need to score more points all right we're going to keep this moving because yeah do jump back in the saddle where you at we're running i'm uh i'm going to jump straight into nc state here then uh to try and fly through this one because i do not have a huge amount on them uh my headline for these guys is that they have the easiest schedule in power five football Woo. Boom. Throwing that out there. So automatically, I'm going to say it's not anyone in the Big 12 because they got to play everyone in the Big 12. That's tough. That's fucking <laughs> tough. It ain't going to be anyone in the SEC because, I don't know, they got to play everyone in the SEC or at least, you know, probably Georgia or the teams in the West. Like, it ain't going to be there. So it's going to be this year someone from the ACC. And NC State do not have to play Clemson. NC State do not have to play Notre Dame. Yes, they have to play Miami, tough out, but that's at home. Looking at the rest of it, like, they're not a great team. Yeah, maybe they're not favoring any of it, but, like... (laughs) (laughs) You're really squeezing the lemon here to try and get something. That's a pretty, pretty fine Positively for their Wolfpack. I am, I am. I mean, last year they were super disappointing. This is a team that has consistently been quite good consistently turning out winning seasons uh, since 2014 and consistently scoring points. Last year, they started well. I think they were 4-1 and one to start the year and then went 1-7 and seven in the ACC. Just really fell in a hole. Didn't fire a shot. Uh, they had freshman quarterback Devin Leary, who's back, who, I don't know, was passing at under 50%. Like, I... I worry for them a bit there I, I think it's going to be tough for them to make big strides uh they're going to be leaning on that schedule to get themselves up to five wins and even then i see that probably as a stretch for them yeah i i mean i don't there's nothing really to get too excited about their offensive line was meh they're going to go running back by a large large committee here with zonovan knight uh jordan houston trent Penix. Ricky Person, uh, you know, that's kind of what they're relying on. I expect their defensive front to be kind of okay, um, but they are replacing a lot up front. So it's really going to, again, not dissimilar um, to who did I speak about earlier who's been gutted on the defensive front, Virginia. Um not dissimilar on that front. They're going to be relying on linebackers and safeties, Tanner Ingle, um, Peyton Wilson, and Isaiah Moore to kind of make the difference there for the Wolfpack. Oh, yeah. They've got to stop turning the ball over, um, and they need to be able to score enough points with a quarterback who they couldn't sort out last year. Um, there was kind of a few guys who uh, played in that, in that position last year and you're asking a, a six foot two under recruited guy to go and turn it on from the quarterback position so i'm not excited about nc state and 
It might be them and, and Georgia Tech vying for that last position. So the wooden spoon bowl might come down to those two teams. Okay. Tell us who you are excited about. All right. So we're starting to work into it here. Um, so I've got Virginia Tech as the next on my reverse hype order. And their headline reads, Fuente speaks, colon, quotations. Seriously, I'll give a wide receiver a wristy to stay, close quotations. So Damon Hazleton had eight touchdowns last year, and he is now at Missouri. Grimsley and Patterson have also exited. Dalton Keene was overdrafted by the Patriots in the NFL draft this year, and they have no wide receivers left. So, um, you know, Fuentes had a lot of issues with transfers, and there's a bit of a culture problem potentially at Virginia Tech without kind of, you know, saying or, or stating things and and this is just rumors at this point but there's a lot of guys that have got out over the first two years they haven't recruited particularly well they have seen a little bit of improvement they've got a quarterback in the building who's quite good in Hendon Hooker um, he sort of came in last year as a run first guy he's a big body uh, he, he's a really really good mover on the edge uh, and but he then developed into this guy he kind of reminds me in a similar vein to a little bit like Cardell Jones from Ohio State back in the day. Big body, big arm, um, and can and can push the ball downfield. They've got other guys there. Quincy Patterson saw some time at quarterback as well. And here's a name just to really throw you back. Braxton Burmeister. I don't know if you remember him, but he was the Oregon quarterback in... Um, oh, this would have been a couple of years ago. Uh, and when they were really, really, really struggling, Braxton Burmeister got a lot of starts through a lot of interceptions, and and they weren't particularly good in Mario Cristobal's early early years. Um, but anyway, he's there as well. The entire offensive line comes back, and there's a stable of kind of transfer-led running backs as well that that come back also. So the offense looks like it's going to go through the the run game and through that offensive line so the the offense appears to be set in that space the Hokies lose Caleb Fairley as we know he's opted out of the season from his defensive backfield position but they do return a heap of starters on the defensive side and rarely gave up big big scores I think six times they held teams to to 18 points or less um, so there's a lot of things to get really excited about from a Virginia Tech perspective, but it is one of those things where it's a little bit unproven. It's like I've got a defense that should work, an offense that is pretty well proven outside of the wide receiver game, and an offensive line that includes Christian Darasaur as a first-round offensive tackle. And I actually might get to three players here when I talk about these guys um, for the first time here in the Coastal. But there's also Kansas transfer running back Khalil Herbert, who had 14 touchdowns last year. He should excel this year. Um, and then Hendon Hooker is another guy as well who could be a game changer. Though I'm not fully sold on him, so I'm going with Rashad Ashby, who will rack up another 100 tackle season from his middle linebacker position. So lots to like about for Virginia Tech. It's If things go pear-shaped, does Fuente have the culture to write a rocky ship. Yeah, the culture one is an interesting point that you make. Um, I think 
Virginia Tech have it all set up for them. Like that whole wide receiver transferring business is quite weird, but it's kind of there are the leading returner is back. There are other guys with starting experience who are going to be around. The whole O line's back. Almost all of the defense is back. Like this is a really, mm-hmm. really experienced team that was pretty good last year. I mean, they kind of had that heartbreaking loss to Virginia late and then lost to Kentucky as well that kind of put a dampener on the whole campaign. But before that, this was the team that I'd bought into last year and and I was kind of riding high on that for most of it. I am a little conscious of the old fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So I'm hesitant to go back to this well. Uh, I I think that... They would have liked the original schedule uh, before (laughs) all of this when they didn't have Clemson and things looked a lot better for them. Now, uh, yeah, they they get Miami at home. That's great. Um, But they do have that Clemson matchup. And look, I... I will still hold out hope for these guys. I think that they're going to be a decent unit, and I think you've probably slotted them, you know, in, in the right spot here. But I just I have I hold concerns that that game at North Carolina. I, I have a, a more faith in North Carolina at this point, um, and then somewhere else along the ga- line, something like that um, that Louisville game on the road, or even oh. the BC one at home, feels like a bad spot. Well, I just, no, yeah. none of it, none of that looks good there. Like, if you have a look at that draw in a little bit more depth, so they go NC State, Virginia, then they get a bye week, but then they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games on the bounce, five of which are away from home, and including two road games in a row. Yeah, if well, they, they so two. they go Duke away, yeah. North Carolina away, which is probably a loss. BC at home. Let's say they get over that. They then go Wake Forest away, Louisville away. If they go five on the trot there, four of which are away, and they get Louisville, I could see them losing that game by 50 points. It's pretty like sad. That's just the sort of run in college football that, that college football teams don't hold up to that kind of abuse. Um, and that makes it really, really tough. And then they get Liberty, Miami, Pitt, and then a buyer before Clemson. So that is stunning diff through the middle section there with four Absolutely. out of five games on the road well there's no one else who's spending four weeks on the road across a five-week period in the schedule so i'm sure they'd be asking some questions about that but yeah. i don't know you gotta do what you gotta do all right uh not many to go now so keep on moving let's, let's keep on charging here let's have a look at notre dame in the ACC. Ooh, that's not where I thought you were going, but sure. My my headline here, ACC champs, it's got a nice ring to it. So <laughs> this, is, uh, this is one that I think a lot of people will be interested to see because Notre Dame have been so fiercely independent and now they have an opportunity to run around in the ACC. It's going to be fun to watch them play here. And whilst they played most of these teams across the year anyways, like they, they had that loose affiliation with the ACC, it does feel like it has a, a different vibe to it this year. Um, Notre Dame have got Ian Book coming back, uh, which is a huge win for them. He's a good quali- college quarterback, and I think he has an opportunity to really propel himself into that top tier of college quarterbacks. I still have questions around some of his game and how that translates into the pro level, but I think he could be a really, really good college quarterback. 
with what he's able to do on the ground and through the air. Um, I think if they don't have the best O-line in the country, it's certainly in the conversation. I mean, they have legit NFL players all across that line. Uh, Liam Eichenberg is uh, a left tackle prospect that they're talking about as you know a potential top 20 pick. Uh, they've got Robert Hainsey, Tommy Kramer, and Jarrett Patterson, who all have Sunday football in their future. I mean, that that's what you want up front. You want a stud, experienced quarterback with ex- uh, a good, good, experienced offensive line in front of him. Where they do have concerns, though, is who's going to catch the fucking thing? Because their top <laughs> four uh, receivers from last year are all gone, uh, including Chase Claypool and Cole Komet. Cole Komet, what a great tight end. What a great tight end. I'm so happy that the Bears waited for the second round to draft him. I know you must be excited as a mediocre in terms of size, speed, everything Almost as, as a block, as a receiver. Almost as excited to hear a report come out of Bears training camp that legit said that tight end Jimmy Graham is looking like the best player at, <laughs> uh, at training camp. Like, he's, he's the most impressive. That's just what you want to fucking say. <laughs> 38-year-old fucking washed-up tight end is the superstar <laughs> for the team. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Notre Dame's defense will be good. It's always good. Uh, I don't expect that to be any different this year. What I do look forward to, and what I'm really excited to see, is uh, six foot, two hundred and fifteen pound senior linebacker Jeremiah Awusu Karamoa. Oh God! Yeah, how'd I go there? Pretty good. Well, it was slow. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't great, was it? Uh, so he's that uh, do-it-all playmaker uh, who plays that kind of, um, what's the position of the star? Uh, Rover. Everyone's got a different name for it. Star, joker, striker. Rover, something. whatever you want to call it. And he they move him around and use him as a real weapon across the field. And last year he tied the team with tackles. He led the way with sacks. Rover. Came, came up with nearly 14 tackles for a loss. Uh, and was breaking up passes all over the place. So they're just moving him. He's an athlete. They fly him around. He's a little bit undersized, but he has that twitchiness and he's, he's that closing speed. So I think watching him play is, is something, because I really like King in on a few of those defensive guys who play in that position because they're, they're, they can have such an impact. And it's an interesting take rather than just watching a game is to watch a player like that and kind of focus in on him on the defensive side of the ball, where he starts, where he moves to, what he does. It kind of it, it opens up the game when you can kind of do that. So I do recommend that for our fans out there to, to kind of pick someone similar to this mold and um, you can't have him. I've already. Uh, I've got <laughs> you cannot dips. watch him. Do can't not wa- take can't your eyes off. Exclusively watch him. That's mine. But uh, in last year's <laughs> bowl win against Iowa State, he had nine tackles, three sacks, four tackles for a loss, and he was just kind of. He, he was the ga- a game wrecker, uh, and it's good fun to see. Now, do Notre Dame win the ACC? No, Clemson are really good, so they're not, <laughs> they could, but. Good. They are in the box seat to play the championship game. As, as we said before, they do miss Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech. And 
uh, that's that's perfectly set up for even with a loss at home to Clemson for them to have another shot. And as they say, you got to be in it. Uh, so they're going to give every opportunity to do that this year. Yeah, I I don't know. I I didn't like the offensive play calling for Notre Dame last year. They struggled to run the ball. They didn't. They refused to push the ball downfield in the past game. So. I need to see it from that offense. They, you know, went, got caught in some real like arm wrestles in games that they shouldn't have because they are talented, and that offensive line should really just manhandle teams. And like you, and like we continue to say, particularly in a season that doesn't allow for, you know, teams to prepare that well, this offensive line should be pretty good. Uh, and and I, I just there's no reason why they can't get this run game going, but they have struggled with it. So I expect to you know to see them excel in that this year. And I think they've got to stay committed to that running game because if they don't, and that running game doesn't have to necessarily be running back related. Ian Book can move the ball on the ground with his feet, but if they don't get that running game going to balance out him as a nothing above average quarterback from my end um then they're going to really struggle to move the move the ball it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is so whilst they they will go into the season ranked particularly highly again um there, there appears to be a loss or a, oh, a stinker there yeah they'll drop clemson at some stage but there appears to be a stinker here somewhere. They'll probably still make it through. In fact, two losses somewhere along the line could could possibly keep you in the running anyway. But um, something about this Notre Dame team this year, again, led by Ian Book, just doesn't feel quite right. Whatever that looks like. All right, I've got two to go, so let's get to it. North Carolina on the second of... or sorry, the second last team in terms of hype only. Don't sophomore, sophomore slumps. Oh, fuck, I couldn't, couldn't even get that out. Don't sophomore slump, Sam. I did get it out eventually. Okay, so we're talking, obviously, Sam Howe there. Possibly has one of the best receiving cores in the country to throw to. Daz Newsom um, had 72 grabs last year. They return uh, Donmi Brown and Bo Corrales as well. They also have tight end returning. So there's no reason that he shouldn't be really, really good. His numbers are good. His play is solid. The hype around him is massive, but there is still something, and I said this last year, there's still something around Sam Howe that gives me pause. He doesn't appear to have something. That's not a great argument. Um, He threw a lot of contested ball. He threw a lot of half-side reads. He's not reading you know, multiple levels of the defense. When you look at what, and I know he was only a freshman last year. I'm not holding that against him, but you look at what it takes to go and become that next level quarterback where they ask them to make multiple level reads, multiple sides of the field reads, which Trevor Lawrence has been doing for a long time. Sam Howe's not doing that. He's reading a high-low defender. He's throwing pop flies. He's throwing contested balls. He came on in the later latter part of the year and was throwing receivers open better. And I don't think his arm strength is in question. It's can he read levels of defenses? Can he, um, you know, continue to go through his progressions and find that open receiver, or is he just going to 
be a jump ball thrower and hope his receivers can come down with it. Um, so he is my biggest candidate for sophomore slump. I'm really, really nervous about him. I was big on Adrian Martinez from Nebraska coming out of his rookie season or his freshman season, and he flopped. I think um, Sam Howe is in... He's going to go one of two ways. He's going to really take off or he's going to really slump. I don't think he's going to kind of plateau. And, um, you know, there is a bit of a hot take for you on the Sam Howe front. Uh, in terms of schedule, a little bit tough again for North Carolina. They get seven games, but then a bye, and then Notre Dame and Miami double to finish the year, which could look like anything. If we make it that far, let's say hypothetically we do, teams could be ravaged by, um, you know, that bat flu thing that's happening. And, you know, plus injuries, plus tiredness, plus the fact that we don't get easy games this year. There isn't those three out-of-conference games that gives you a chance to whip up on people. And they don't have that this year. It's all in conference. It's it's all really kind of a contested slate. And so it should be. Uh, three players to watch. Chaz Surratt came to the team as a quarterback. He will play in the NFL as a linebacker. He's a really, really good one. Sam Howe, of course, I've mentioned. And Daz Newsom um, is a handy wide receiver. So North Carolina may be one of the most hyped teams in the country. Um, but I'm just putting the brakes on them just a fraction. I'm not saying they're bad. Um, Mac Brown's done really, really good things up there in Chapel Hill. But there's just, I need a, I need, it's a prove it year to me again. Uh, and I think between them and Louisville, one of those two teams is going to take some massive strides forward. All right, you're touching the brakes. I'm fucking slamming them on. Heads are hitting <laughs> dashboards. We have got to hold up on the love of North Carolina. Good. It is too much. It's ridiculous. Yes, I get it. They're putting together a recruiting class that is decent for them. I get that. That's in the future. Yes, last year, they were pretty good. Last year, fun fact, they beat one team that ended up with a winning record. That was Temple in their bowl game. Fucking hell. Cupcake schedule and... Of the other ones that they won, they had three where they won by four points or less. So they're scraping home too. Like, yeah, like, they're all right. They're not bad. Same as Virginia Tech or Virginia or Pitt or these other teams that you mentioned. There's no way they deserve that hype that they're getting at the moment to talk about being a real challenger in the ACC. This is another middle-rung, decent team, but... They're not nearly as good as they're being made out to be. I think they're get, that's certainly going to get showed up this year. I think Syracuse early on could cause them trouble. I, I, I see issues all over that schedule. And then finishing with Notre Dame and Miami on the road, they're toast at that point. So I, I'm all the way out on North Carolina this year, and I will not be made to look an idiot. Mark my words. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it. Um, normally, when I'm set playing something down, you're like, no, nah, I disagree with you, but you were coming in hot there. So, I like it. Yeah, I can get around that. All right, let's go. Syracuse, carry, me, me. carry me home to the Carrier Dome. <laughs> Look at you, lyrical genius. Right? I think there's something there. I think I've got a career path. Uh, I've, got, I've got one for you here. Syracuse are not going to lose a home game this year. 
Yeah, ridiculous, huh? There's well, something about that carrier dome. I don't, they just they grow an extra leg. I think I don't think you could get coronavirus in the carrier dome. That, that's that's the the magic powers that they have. I think opposition teams might be able to, but not them. Like it, it is a sacred place for that, and that they will win all of their home games. The unfortunate thing is, I don't know if they're going to win too many others outside of that. <laughs> when they go on the road, they could struggle, and that does include North Carolina, who I just said they'd win that game, but and Pitt in the first two, uh, Clemson and Notre Dame on the road. Oof, that's not a good combo. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're going to be up at up against it this year. They were very disappointing last year. Uh, but after having a really good 2018, they came crashing back to to earth last year. I expect them to bounce back somewhat from that. Um, their offensive line play was disgusting, and I'm not sure how I feel about most of them being back. It's one of those ones where, on one hand, they fucking sucked. Like, sweet, we got a whole bunch of dudes who weren't very good back. But on the other hand... Like, they're a year older, they're a year bigger. I can't make my argument that I did at the start of the show where I'm saying, you know, you get that much better by having an extra year and then not preach that for this year. So I guess Mm -hmm. I'm team, their offensive line's going to be better because they're experienced, because they've got that. And we might see that play out. We'll have a bit of a preview on how Syracuse go to talk about potentially this extra year of eligibility later on. Um. They have Tommy DeVito back at quarterback, who I think is a sneaky, exciting player. I think he didn't do much last year to show it. I don't know if it's the name, Tommy DeVito, that, that really jumps out like at me. Danny but there's something, DeVito? Is that what you... there's, there's something there that I really think uh, he could get going. And last year, he spent his whole time running for his life or pulling grass out of his helmet. Like that was yep, his kind good. of MO across the season. I think this year he could show some spark and, and really get something going for them. Defensively, on that side of the ball, they are replacing a lot up front, which is never a great sign. The front seven, there is wholesale changes, um, which can be certainly concerning. But on the positive side, their secondary is going to be strong and they will be headlined by safety Andre Sisko who could, is a, could be an all american at the end of the year absolutely like he's a ball magnet over mm. the last two seasons he's had 12 interceptions and 16 pass breakups stop fucking throwing the ball near him that's insane <laughs> from the safety position he's just humming around the field got a real nose for it so He's one that I expect to elevate that whole group, but they do need to sort out up front. Uh, and with a couple of road games to begin with, it, it might be uh, a difficult learning curve for them. But Syracuse, bouncing back, not too far up though. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, I don't have anything really to add. There's two guys, Tommy DeVito, Andre Cisco, and that's it. Outside of that, we, you know, there's nothing too much to report. But... Um, you know, maybe if they if they do do something well, if they do manage a big big win, you know that celebration for those boys is gonna be like all time. Why is that? Um, well, you know that well, you know that Dino Babers loves to celebrate a win. So you know that if they win in the locker room afterwards, he's gonna have things 
humming around in there as well. So, uh, all right, let's push on. Now I'm going to let you double down here because I don't want to talk. I don't want to blow my hype load too early. Um, and I know you're big on the team that I want to talk about last. So why don't you talk us through Wake Forest? Okay, I will go again. Uh, Wake Forest, my, you might not like this, but my headline here is that they are the measuring stick in the ACC. What does that mean? Well, they've now had four straight winning seasons, right? Last time they did that was between 1944 and 1949 when they had five. <laughs> the Dave Clawson, Dave Clawson, the head coach there, has done one of the better coaching jobs in all of the land to be able to pull that out that's that's fantastic result but what i'm saying is it probably speaks more to what we've seen from the acc in recent years than where wake forest are and that the tide has been out so they're kind of like that that low tide marker where you can kind of see it and you go well if wake forest keep fucking winning that means everyone else kind of sucks yeah so on the back of what I've said previously, I think the rest of the, the tide is rising in the ACC. It's getting a little bit better. And as a result of that, I see a team like Wake who they would have to rate incredibly highly on our plucker meter. Incredibly plucky yep. team. They are a For team sure. who will, will drop down a little bit. Yeah, they're going to cause someone troubles. They're going to have an upset across the year. They're going to be punching above their weight. And that's what they do. They've got to be used to that. But this year is really some uh, cause for concern. That Jamie Newman exit stage left. They, they don't anymore. Exactly right. He jumped out uh, over to Georgia. Ooh, that hurts. Uh, greener pastures out there. Then Sage Surratt, one of the better wide receivers in all of the country, has gone. Another potential All-American. Yeah, looked up the roster up and down, thought, fuck this. I'm going to start prepping for the NFL. I'm done too. Those are real, real warning signs for me. I think that they could be in a bit of trouble here. They're going to be underdogs in almost all games that they play. Uh, they're going to they're going to show something. like they're, they're going to be a tough out. Demon Deacons always are. But I think it's going to be tough sledding this year. And I think that they could be down towards the bottom in the ACC. Yeah, you say that, but I mean, Dave Clawson has done a really, really good job. I think their defense is going to be pretty good. Carlos Basham had 11 sacks last year, um, and their defensive line should be pretty good. They Their defense on the whole should be pretty good. I know they're replacing um, both corners, which is means you're never going to be a, a super, superstar defense and, and no one's ever claiming that they are. But I'm hearing a lot of good noise about Sam Hartman, the quarterback, although he is you know certainly needs to prove his worth. Kenneth Walker's a good running back as well. Um, but I expect a pretty good defensive team. Like you said, a, a tough out. Um and you know, I, I, there's a there's a bit of noise coming out about Wake Forest being competitive still, and I know that's Jamie Newmanless, and there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of weight being put on. Oh, if Jamie Newman was still there, which he's obviously not, but I think Wake Forest are going to be okay. I think that defense is going to be okay, and I think they're going to surprise people. I think they're going to be better than Virginia. I think they're going to be better than Georgia Tech. They're certainly going to be better than Duke. So, I think they they sit. You know, we talk about that big, deep middle class here in the ACC. They're certainly in the thick of that. Okay. 
let's round us home now. I know you're ready to go. Well, I'm not actually that ready to go. I know this is more your wheelhouse, but um, my headliner for the Miami Hurricanes, if we're looking at hype meter, it's save me, Lashley, save me. So last year, the offense was fucking horrific under Dan Enos, who came across from Alabama, and he came with all this panache and all this you know, spread coast offense that he was going to run. And what it meant is they got out okay against Florida, at the start of the year, but made no changes with the bad offensive line. And he was let go, relieved of his duty. And Rhett Lashley comes over from SMU. He comes out of the school of the Gus Malzahn uh, kind of spread to run offense. Um, and he's kind of got elements of Gus Malzahn. He's not as true to it as what um, Gus is at Auburn, but will run this this hybrid spread air raid type offense not certainly not a true air raid um but having said that wide receivers are unproven whilst highly rated unproven the offensive line struggled massively last year but the running back room looks pretty elite cameron harris looks like a really good one he's into his junior year i believe um and he is you know running really really well jalen Knighton comes across and don cheney um were two recruit true freshmen last year and possibly the two that's possibly the best running back class in the whole country last year. So they're ready to get things moving on the ground. In terms of other players, which I haven't mentioned, Derek King comes across from Houston as the quarterback, um, and he's settled in there nicely from a leadership perspective. He's got a good understanding of the offense, and they should be good to roll there. The defensive line loses their top four defensive ends. That includes Gregory Rousseau, who elects to go to the NFL and Gee, the Canes wish they could have had him back for another season because he put up 11 sacks or 12 and a half sacks or something last year, second only to Chase Young in the entirety of the NCAA. But the defensive line has been somewhere that they've recruited really, really well. So Quincy Roche comes across from Temple, and he's a really good one. Jalen Phillips is the former number one overall recruit out of UCLA. So the defensive line continues to impress in scrimmages and in uh, preseason training. So I've got no worries about them. And the last player that I'll mention is Brevin Jordan, who is another tight end out of Miami. And uh, he's this kind of undersized, I say undersized, this undersized inline type. He's not a six foot eight monster like Gronk, which is whatever a tight end gets compared to. But think of the Christopher Herndon type where he's, you know, kind of six four, um, can run block effectively. He's good open and in space if he gets flexed out. Um, but can play a bit of H-back as well. So they're three guys. Well, one of them's an area of the play, but they're three areas and players that I expect to be good for the Canes. And whilst I continue to be disappointed by Miami year in, year out, I, you know, this year, maybe this is the year, maybe after 15 years of hype, why, why not get back on board again? What's the worst that can fucking happen? There we go, getting around it. I like this, mate. So going into this year, I have always been the one who kind of sits back on the other side of the hype and just laughs because I'm like, you fucking, you never do. You never do. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's great and he was an awesome recruit and you've got him from this program and that's he's a great coach. But this year I was buying in. I was, I was like, I think miami are going to be my team like i'm going to jump on board and we're going to enjoy games together and it's going to be like a side by side thing and then the fucking wheels started to fall off a bit 
like the whole bat virus thing started happening. Yeah. And like Rousseau's like, I'm out. I was looking forward to getting around him. I was going to get like a Rousseau jersey, get around that. Like Derek <laughs> Can't King, get a Rousseau jersey, dude. Like you can't make money off their likeness yet. So Yeah, just the number 99. 15. It seems like an opera, whatever. Oh, 15, <laughs> that's me. That's That works, perfect. It's a me jersey. <laughs> um, so I was, I was going to get around him. Then he left. Like Derek King, he's going to be, electric lashley as you said like ls uh, sorry smu had the number three scoring offense in all of college football last year or something like they were they were really really good and that's kind of that's impressive there because they hadn't been doing that for a long time so <laughs> i think he comes in with the right pieces to do that but then losing him and like the other big concern in miami is where they're about has really been an epicenter for the coronavirus like I, I think they are more at risk than most other schools of having outbreaks come throughout the team. Uh, and that, you kind of need to factor that in a little bit. I hope they don't go fucking it all up for the whole country in college football and, you know, the program gets shut down, so now we need to close all college football because then I'll be fucking all up your ass if that's the case. <laughs> but it's enough things there that's kind of got me back and back off this hype train to think, no, 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 you're smarter than this. It's Miami. Don't fucking do it. So I, I, I'm going to need to wait. I'm going to need to search through the SEC rosters, get desperate, jump into the American, see if I can find someone in there. <laughs> but I'm not sure I'm quite sold yet, my man. Okay. Um, just on that, I know like Penn State, uh, Penn State had some parties, like college parties, and like all these kids got the Rona. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, fucking no shit. Like, <laughs> that's like... Like when you go back to college and you say like, don't party, don't get together. That's like giving keith richards an eight ball and saying you know what just leave don't, that alone do for it. a little bit yeah. <laughs> don't do it like it's not gonna happen so surprise surprise like some 19 year olds decided to get together party balls and fucking go crazy and here we are um but anyway yeah i mean i i still i still want to believe i want to believe because the defensive talents there they can't fucking have the kicking game they had last year that was a embarrassingly poor um you know and you look at that they lose georgia tech on three missed field goals they let north carolina convert a fourth and 17 that would have finished the game with less than two minutes to go like because they called some stupid delay blitz like there's just all this stuff that kind of you know built up and went wrong but having said that there's no out on the coach and that's what I'm really impressed by is you look at Mike Norvell and he hasn't come into Florida State and like blown away the players in either a good or bad way. Um, yeah, don't be blowing players. But, um, you know, he hasn't done that and, you know, everyone's still in on the Manny Diaz experience at this stage. So hopefully, uh, you know, that continues and, and the Canes can continue to be successful or just not continue to be successful, just be successful at some stage. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of teams. I think Clemson 1, Notre Dame 2, the University of Miami, I'm going to say finishes 3 overall, Louisville 4, Virginia Tech 5, North Carolina 6, then some Atlantic team that I don't give a shit about after that because that's when the big clusterfuck of middle-ranked teams starts. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'll would probably follow suit with that uh i don't have too much i probably might bump 
uh, Florida State up into the bottom of that listing there, or above North Carolina. But okay. that, that's about that for me, yeah. Um, well, this has been a fucking long, long episode. Bumper. I don't know how long we've been going for. It feels like it's been at least, like I've aged horribly in this time. My beard is quite long and gray now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? All right. Um, well, before we do depart, I do need to mention, of course, the socials. So please do hit us up uh, at CFB Down Under on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Make sure you hit up Will. He loves that shit. He does everything to do with this podcast. Actually, he does the production. He does the social media. He does everything. So I do commend you on that, Will. So And, and thank you for your continued dedication to the cause. Um, yeah, the bill came in for the uh, podcast hosting the other day. I'll, I'll just send the invoice over to you. Yeah, you actually should because I haven't <laughs> paid one yet. So, uh, yeah, get me on that. Lucky I get my tax back. Um, on that, please do leave a five-star review. Please do subscribe. Let your friends know. I mean, there's nothing else to fucking do at the moment. You can watch some shitty AFL. You can get around the Tampa Bay Rays in the, in the baseball. But effectively, what's it going to be? We're two weeks away from actual college football, which is a really, really nice and somewhat dangerously scary thought as well. But please do get around us and get around the sport here in Australia. Unless you have got anything else, William, on behalf... You're done. On behalf of that guy over there, it is way too late on this Wednesday night for you up there in the Adelaide Hills. On behalf of myself down here on the plains, thank you very much and we will see you next time.